As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, girl. Hey, girl. Hey. Welcome back. Or welcome for the first time. Right. Welcome back to you. You've been here. Yes, I have been here. Yes. Yeah. And same to you. Yeah. Welcome back to me. All right. Enough. Yeah. So, um, (laughs) we are the Killer Queens. Yes, we are. Yeah. I'm Torella. I'm Tori. This is always awkward for us. (laughs) Um, some things you need to know if it is your first time. Intros? Awkward. Outros? Awkward. Awkward. Not going to be good. No. Ape Oxford arms. (laughs) Exactly. Love drunk history. Also, if you've not um, listened to us before, it's just super casual. Like, our favorite reviews are the ones that are like, I feel like we're BFFs, just like sitting around talking about a case. It's not super formal. Right. It's gal palling. Yep. Totally. That's what we do. We've got the facts, but we are just going to also chit chat about it. And we're breezy. We're breezy. So today we're going to be doing the case of the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders. And I actually had not heard of this case before I did the guest spot on Today in True Crime. So I did March 4th of this year, 2020. And it was Kim Wendy Allen, who's one of the victims in this case. So I I wasn't familiar with it. Um... And then it kind of sparked an interest to dig a little bit deeper and get a little bit more on it. So love it. Yeah. I didn't know about it until she was on the case or on the Today was, in True Crime as yeah, well. Yeah, I was on so. the case. Yeah. <laughs> Where's my magnifying glass? Real quick before we jump into today's case, just a reminder that if you want more more content, more Killer Queens, then join us on the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Pod. We've got tons of episodes there that are just ready for you to binge. If you join now, you'll get access to over, or you could get access to over 80 episodes that we've released just on the Patreon. So depending on the level you join at, we're doing docu-series coverage at our $10 level, episode by episode. Right now we're doing Who Killed Little Gregory. We just finished up The Confession Killer, and we've also done Don't Fuck With Cats. So there's tons of stuff on there, and then we do um, a kind of mini-sode every week, as well as our regular episodes. So if you are quarantined, totally bored, jump in there with us. We'll, you'll get lots of extra content. See you there. Without further ado, here we go. The Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Murders obviously gives you a hint that maybe we're going to be talking about hitchhiking. Sure. In today's world, most of us would never consider hitchhiking, although it is a little interesting that we willingly almost hitchhike with 
Lyft and Uber. True, but there's a paper trail there. Yeah, there is a paper trail. It definitely makes you feel more safe. And you get a picture of who's picking you up and they've got, you know, like... License plate numbers and the whole bit. Yeah. Still, that's not necessarily always safe, but everybody who is into true crime probably knows the stories about hitchhiking. But in in the 70s, even up into the 80s, it was so totally normal. Like, oh, yeah. everybody did it. And they, I think they also didn't have, you know, the media connected the way it is now. So you didn't piece together all of these things necessarily. And this case will show that too, where it took them a long time to figure out exactly that the cases were even connected. So we'll definitely be kind of going through some of those things. Uh, One article from this time said that hundreds of people hitchhike daily in Sonoma County, California, which is where most of these cases take place. And unfortunately, just because it was more widely done, it didn't make it any safer. And the city of Santa Rosa in California learned this in a horrific way between 1972 and 1973. Santa Rosa is just above San Francisco. It's only about 20 miles from the coast. In the 60s and 70s, it was too close for comfort to numerous unfortunate events in California at the time. So during that time, we've got 1968, which marked the beginning of the Zodiac's reign of terror. Then we have 1969, Charles Manson and his family. March of 1972, there was a prison riot. So it was kind of already tumultuous in that time. There's just a lot of big events going on. And then on February the 4th, 1972, 12-year-old Maureen Sterling and 13-year-old Yvonne Weber disappeared after they left the Redwood Empire Ice Arena. Yvonne had just turned 13 in January, and Maureen would have been 13 in 14 days. So, very young girls. The last time anyone saw them, it was around 9 p.m., and they were hitchhiking to Guerneville Road, which was just northwest of Santa Rosa. They were reported missing by one of their mothers when she came to pick them up around 11 p.m. and couldn't find them. The witnesses who saw them hitchhiking were the only leads police had for months. In that that case, I heard that they were kind of doing the thing that a lot of kids did where it's like, okay, mom, drop me off at the ice skating thing. That's where I'm going to be. And then they hitchhiked to go do something else. And unfortunately, that's the last time they were seen alive. Well, now it makes more sense, or it, it, I understand it more because our mother never let us, we were never allowed to be dropped off somewhere and just be there. Like We weren't even allowed in the front yard. No, not <laughs> Remember riding our bikes? Yeah. yeah. So at the time I was like, oh, mom, let us do something. Like, this is lame. All yeah, my friends are going gonna to happen? movies. Yeah, what's going to happen? Yeah. This is so and stupid. You hear about this and you're like, well, okay, uh, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just you never know what could happen, I guess. I I definitely think being into this makes me, I don't know. Paranoid? Yeah. Like, I think there's, I think it's good to have a, an amount of caution. But there's a healthy balance there, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But like. We don't know what that is, but there's a healthy balance there. I'm sure somebody has it. Yeah. But like, even, um, I've heard of cases of like kids walking to school and getting abducted or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we live really close to a school. And if. If the boys end up going there, I'm like, no fucking way you're walking. I don't care for you. I can see it from here. (laughs) Like, you're not walking there. Like, I want to drop you off. Too much can happen. It's just too too scary. And I'll walk you in holding hands. (laughs) 
until even, you're 30. Yeah, I was going to say, even when you're 15 or 16. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mommy loves you. Hold mom's hand. Yeah. So um, it's just scary. And it's like, you know, all these cases you just think about. You can put it in two perspectives. That could have been me as a kid, you know, sneaking around doing stuff like, eh, I'm invincible. Nothing's going to happen to me. Or, you know, from a parent's perspective, like, I dropped my kids off to go skating with friends. And that's the last time. Uh, it's just so scary. It is so scary. Then on December the 28th, 1972, 17-year-old Glenn Frost and 18-year-old David Bruner were hiking when they found skeletal remains at the bottom of a steep embankment about 60 feet off the side of Porter Creek Road. They went home and they told Glenn's father what they had found, and then his father called the coroner's office. And when going through the scene, investigators found an earring and a gold cross necklace with a broken clasp. They didn't find any clothing, any hint of clothing ever being there. Um, and again, these are skeletal remains, but you would still, the clothes would still, you know, be there. There was nothing. Um, there weren't any buttons, zippers, no fabric, like literally just nothing at all. Just the skeleton and the clasp. Mm-hmm. Wow. Other than the fact that they weren't found with clothes, the girls had been dragged over a ditch and then tossed down the embankment, which led investigators to believe that they'd been murdered. So I guess when they found the remains, obviously they weren't 100% sure what, you know, could they have been hitchhiking and fallen, gotten hurt, and succumbed to the elements or their injuries or something like that. But since they were not clothed, that's unusual. Um, but the way that they were there, I guess they could tell that they had been dragged. Interesting. Investigators were convinced that the murderer had to be pretty strong to have gotten both of the girls over the ditch and then tossed their bodies down the almost 70-foot embankment without there being any brush damaged. The girls were not rolled down the embankment, or there was more than one person responsible. Even more disturbing to the investigators was that their murders could be linked to other murders from the months after the girls disappeared. This terrified them because they realized they were dealing with a serial killer, which during this time, that phrase is just starting. Yeah, it's just taking off, right? It's like the heyday of serial killers, I feel like. According to one newspaper article, Maureen and Yvonne were actually the 20th and 21st homicide victims that year in Sonoma County, and this number was more than double the number of homicides from the year before, which was only nine. Wow. That's a big difference. Yeah. Like... In one year. Yeah. If you're looking at... And I don't know if that was averaging, but, I mean, the year before is only nine, and then you skyrocket? That's... That's scary. The Secret Witness Program posted a $1,000 reward for information about the girl's murder. According to the Butte County website, the purpose of Secret Witness is to increase citizen participation and involve the public in assisting local law enforcement agencies. It's a long sentence. In solving and curbing county crime. This purpose is achieved by providing an outlet to those citizens who wish to relay information on crimes with complete anonymity. They are very wordy and with the possibility of receiving a reward upon arrest and conviction of the crimes. It was hard for me to follow that. I'm going to be honest with you. They're not done. Rewards and awards are offered for listed and unlisted crimes and are published in the newspapers, television stations, radio and other media forms. All right. So now we know what the secret witness is. Well, we heard what it was. We don't I don't know if we know yet. Yeah, I guess it's like. It's supposed to encourage people to come forward, I guess. But I wonder how they disperse the reward. They'd have to know who you are, right? You would think. Interesting. You'd have to give them something. Yeah. 
on March. Or unless they're, the witnesses are like, leave it on the doorstep and get the hell out of here. You filthy animal. Exactly. <laughs> on March 4th, 1972, around 5.20 p.m., 19-year-old Kim Wendy Allen attempted to hitchhike on Enterprise Road from her job at a natural food store in Larkspur to her night class at Santa Rosa Junior College. They're about 40 minutes apart. She was last seen carrying a backpack and a soy sauce barrel with Chinese characters painted on the side. What is a soy sauce barrel? I don't know. Sloan tried to look it up. Also, thank you, Sloan, for researching. She said, I tried to find what a soy sauce barrel is because I thought maybe it was like a purse, kind of like those cigar box purses, but all I can find is either a soy sauce bottle or a giant barrel that seems difficult for her to carry and why. Maybe maybe it was just like a purse or something. I don't know, some kind of a something. Yeah, I don't know. She had a backpack, but that was the last time she was seen alive and she never made it to her class. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The next day, which is March the 5th, a 17-year-old, well, two 17-year-old boys, John Bly and Scott Bunting, were riding motorcycles when they pulled over for a rest. One boy was walking around when he saw a mannequin. It's never a mannequin. It's never a mannequin. No. We all know. Never. It's never a mannequin. He also realized it wasn't a mannequin. Okay, good. And they reported their finding to the police at around 2 p.m. So this is like literally the next day. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, they didn't know it was Kim, but she was face down with minimal apparent injuries, mostly scratches from rolling down that 20-foot embankment. And there's something about an embankment yeah. with this, I'm assuming, a guy. It was believed she had been dead for about 12 hours. She was not wearing clothing or jewelry. Police described her as between 18 and 26 years old. About 5'5", 135 pounds, blue eyes, light brown, medium-length hair. She had pierced ears and a scar on her left shoulder, and they even released her measurements, 38, 31, 38, and a shoe size, which was six and a half to seven. Okay. That's wildly specific. Very. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if... I, I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to get her identified. Because right. probably at this point, she hasn't been reported missing yet, or they haven't linked it together if she has. But I feel like if... I went missing and you were like, well, I don't know where she is. And then you heard a thing on the news and they were like, we found a woman's body and her measurements are 38, 31, 38. You'd be like, dear God, that's Torella. <laughs> like, I guess we need to share each other's measurements. I don't even I know don't, my measurements. I don't know mine either. Yeah. I was just like, I thought that was really, I don't know, interesting. I mean, I guess they're just trying to get out any information that they can, but... um, I'll tell you right now, mine are not 36, 24, 36 because I ain't no brick house. No, no, no. Whoa, you don't have to agree. <laughs> I'm not either. But seriously, though. I don't know what mine are. Like, legit, I don't know. I don't either. 
Oh, well. I'm pretty sure my measurements would just be like leggings. <laughs> right. Like stretchy. Right. <laughs> be like, that's Terrell. Yeah, for sure. All right. So an autopsy would later determine that she had been bound at her wrists and ankles. The coroner said that Kim had been raped and tortured before she was strangled with a cord or a wire. In fact, it was determined that she'd been strangled slowly for about a half hour before she died. Slowly? Yes. What is wrong with people? Like, that's a horrible way to go anyway. Oh, yeah. I mean, if this is, I mean, I can't even believe that I'm saying this out loud. If you have to murder someone. Which you shouldn't. No, you should never do that. But if you have to murder someone, do it fast. Just merciful. Just yeah. gone. Done. Just why? Let's- yeah. Why? That's so awful. Why drag it out? That's torture and that's the worst. Yeah. Kim was identified by her sister a few days after her body was found. Once she was identified, police found out that she lived on Guerneville Road, which was the same road that Maureen Sterling and Yvonne Weber were hitchhiking on. Though they didn't know that at the time because when Kim Wendy Allen was murdered, this was only like a month or so after Maureen and Yvonne went missing. They weren't found until December. So, oh, right. so like during this time, we already know that they've been found. But for some of these, the victims that we're going to go through in the timeline, they're technically still missing. A reward fund was set up in order to raise money as incentive for someone to come forward with information. A scholarship fund was also set up so that another person could go to Santa Rosa Junior College and have the experience that Kim had enjoyed so much. She was noted to have been a constant source of happiness. Kim's sister said that she and Kim had coincidentally just recently before this discussed death. Like, it just kind of came up. And she said that Kim had told her that it shouldn't be a sad event, but it should be a happier event, a beautiful ending to a beautiful life. Isn't that wild that they... Kind of eerie. Yeah, that's kind of like the, um, I guess, I don't know, almost the opposite, but the murder of Brad Perry that we talked about on the mixtape, where he found his brother's journal. And it's like, you know, it's almost like Kim... Could comfort her sister. Like, reassure her or, yeah. Yeah. Like, even though she's gone, it's, like, still something that right. they had. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. A 10-detective unit was put on Kim's case, and 12 Sonoma County police officers were in charge of retracing Kim's steps the night she disappeared. After her death, numerous girls called the police to report that they had also been raped while hitchhiking. They hoped that by reporting their rape, they would help in finding Kim's murderer. Unfortunately, because it had been some been months in some cases, police couldn't act on most of these. What was the statute of limitations then? Just a couple months? Well, maybe it was like an evidence type of thing. Oh, not that they could. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Not that they couldn't. Like maybe they got like a, um, what do you call it? They got a sketch or something like that, but they couldn't. They couldn't get like physical DNA evidence. Okay. Because like yeah. I was like, what? But also, that's really, because so many rapes go unreported, like, it's really, um, it kind of feels like all these victims or, and survivors, like, banded together to try and, mm-hmm. you know, catch Kim's murderer. Because, I mean, it's, it's brave to report that. Oh, my gosh, totally. And it's really sad. I mean, of course, the murders that we talk about should never, ever happen. But it's so sad to me that just specifically with this case, that there were that many rapes that, you know, they're like, oh, okay, well, yeah. Also, I've been raped while hitchhiking, like, one's too many, but if you have that many, what is, ugh, it's just, it just, 
it makes you feel like, um, I don't know, in Sword and Scale, his thing is, like, his slogan is, the show that reveals the worst monsters are real. And it's, like, so true. Like, so true. people take advantage of young girls hitchhiking. They see them as sitting ducks, basically. And mm-hmm. it's, like, what is wrong with us as a society if instead of when you see somebody vulnerable protecting them, you take that as an opportunity to victimize them. Mm -hmm. Another month went by and another woman disappeared. This time, 20-year-old Jeanette Kamahele, I don't know if I'm saying that right, simply vanished in April of 1972 and was never seen again. Now, Jeanette was also a student at Santa Rosa Junior College. Her roommate said that Jeanette had left their place around 9.30 a.m. Her roommate also said that Jeanette was not the kind of girl to skip classes. She said that Jeanette was very stable and not at all flighty. She wasn't the kind of girl to just leave her life. When Jeanette didn't return home, her roommate reported her missing at about midnight that night. So she jumped on it. I mean, you hear so many stories of like, especially college roommates being like, I don't know, I haven't seen him in a few days. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? But she knew like she wouldn't have missed class. She would have come home tonight. It's midnight. There's something wrong. An APB was issued, and it went out with Jeanette's description. She was 5'5", 120 pounds, brown eyes, black hair, and wearing jeans, and a dark top and sandals. While her body was never found, it was presumed that her disappearance was related to Kim Wendy Allen's because she was seen hitchhiking 20 miles from where Kim's body was found. Wow. So that's... Her body was never found. Yeah. Well, that's so sad. The witnesses said that Jeanette had gotten in a truck with an unknown man, and the truck was described as a brown 50-style Chevy pickup with a homemade wooden camper, and the driver was described as a white man with an afro. White man with an afro. It sounds like your husband. Oh, my God. I'm just saying. Who the bleep did I marry? <laughs> Isn't that that show? On yes. Like ID or whatever? Yes. Um, it does sound like him, though. And Sloan says to put a pin in that, so apparently we're going to come back to a white man with an afro. A $500 reward was posted by the Silent Witness Program. In response to the murder, students at Sonoma State College created the Carpool Coordination Switchboard in an attempt to connect students who needed rides to drivers. Wow, this was like... Way ahead of its time. Yeah. Lyft and Uber. Yeah. The students noted that the school was in a rural area without housing or public transportation and was not walking distance to or from anywhere, so there were not many options if you didn't have a car of your own. So, I mean, it's it's legitimately like out of need these people have to hitchhike to get where they need to go like Mm -hmm. tons of people do it it's just too it's too sprawled out yeah an isolated area and if you don't have a car what are you supposed to do yeah what are you gonna do 13 year old Lori lee cursa was a runaway who had been living with her friends since november 11th and was last seen hitchhiking on november 20th 1972 13 years old 13 years old yeah she had run away a few times before that um but it seems like she was still at least in contact with her family because the last time she was seen hitchhiking was November 20th and her mom reported her missing that same day. So I think her mom at least was aware who she'd been living with, where she was supposed to be. And when she didn't come back there, she reported her really quickly. Lori's body was found by a young couple on December the 14th in a deep ravine about 50 feet off the side of Calistoga Road in North Santa Rosa. It appeared she'd been thrown about 30 feet before hitting trees. Oh my God. It's so brutal. She was partially frozen and she was nude. 
It was originally reported that the body they discovered was between 16 and 23 years old. When her body was found, Lori was wearing chipped red nail polish, and they said she had very light blonde hair and pierced ears. She was thought to have been dead for about two weeks. The autopsy surgeon had said she had likely died at the scene between December the 1st and the 8th, but there had been extremely cold weather, making it really hard to nail down a more specific time. Lori was uh, eventually identified by her dental records, and another $1,000 reward was posted for information. While it appeared that Lori had not been raped, it was thought that her neck was intentionally and violently broken, as opposed to it breaking from the fall into the ravine. And this was also thought to be a possible cause of death. It was also thought that Lori may have still been alive when she was thrown into the embankment. Oh my goodness. So sad. An eyewitness came forward to say that they had seen Lori get dragged into a van by two men. One of the men was described as a white man with an afro. Oh my gosh. However, this account and the witness description didn't turn up any suspects or evidence. Then, Carolyn Nadine Davis was 14 years old and also a runaway. She was seen hitchhiking near Highway 101. Carolyn had last been seen alive on July 15, 1973, when her grandmother dropped her off at a post office. Not long before she disappeared, Carolyn wrote a letter to her parents explaining that she was running away and wouldn't be coming back. Her body was found lying face down almost 100 miles away on July 31st, only feet from the location where the bodies of Maureen Sterling and Yvonne Weber were found just two months earlier. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it, it's almost, it almost feels like um, the Bermuda Triangle or something. It's like you come into this area and, I mean, this guy was super active. I mean, it's, he's, I don't know, it's so scary. Really? She was also thought to have been dead for about two weeks, and again, no clothes were found anywhere. The then-unknown body was described in the news as a female, 14 to 16 years old, 5'7", with medium-length blondish-brown hair, which is similar to the other victims. Officers also noted that just like Maureen and Yvonne, the perpetrator must have been very strong or had a partner because Carolyn's body was thrown over the tall bush and down the embankment. An autopsy determined that, now this is interesting, that her cause of death was strychnine poisoning, which was different from the other victims. What? Yeah. The pathologist was unable to determine if Carolyn had been raped, and she would have to be identified using dental records due to decomposition, but that any dentist who had worked on her would recognize her teeth due to a significant crossbite. Carolyn's sister saw the description of the unidentified girl and contacted the sheriff's office and provided Carolyn's dental records. Police also investigated the names that Carolyn mentioned in the last letter she sent to her parents, but nothing came of that. The silent witness posted or program posted a $2,500 reward for information that led to an arrest and conviction in her case. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Also, unlike Sterling and Weber, uh, the first two girls, and the other women that had been found, it was noted in a few sources that beside Carolyn's body was a symbol made of twigs. It was two rectangles made from twigs connected by another stick. The article said that the symbol was from witchcraft and was called the carrier of the spirit or that it was a symbol to help the spirit move on quickly. I mean, when you say a symbol made from sticks or twigs, I think Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I don't know. It Sloan said that there was only a couple places that she found that. Um... But, I mean, other than the description in that article of saying that it's supposed to help your spirit move on quickly, there's, there's no other information that she could find. Um, but none of the other bodies had anything like that mm-hmm. near them. So it's, it's definitely... And this was a strict nine poisoning. Yeah, yeah. So that's definitely different um, because none of the other victims had, had died that way. Police were assuming at this time that the murderer must be familiar with the area based on the roads they'd chosen to use. Detectives said this wasn't an area where people would pull over generally, and it was a road that wasn't even familiar to Santa Rosa residents. To have dumped bodies in this place more than once suggested to authorities that the murderer knew the area. Makes sense. Yeah, and it's also, it seems like a pretty tight proximity, so you would definitely think it's somebody that is familiar with that area because they're... They're going out to similar areas. I mean, one of them, you know, it was the same road that the Maureen and Yvonne were found on that Kim Wendy Allen was or that they had been hitchhiking on that she had been dumped on. So it's definitely somebody appearing in the same area multiple times, I feel like, Mm -hmm. to, to try to pick somebody up. On December 22nd, 1973, in Malibu, 23-year-old Teresa Diane Walsh disappeared after she was seen hitchhiking in an attempt to get her family to get to her family, including her two-year-old son, for the holidays. Six days later, a body was found by boaters in Mark West Creek. She had been bound, they described it as hogtied, beaten, raped, and then strangled to death. Due to serious rain in the area, it was believed that the body was actually carried away from the original location and into the creek. Detectives also hoped that the fact that her upper teeth were false and she had a gold crown on her teeth on other teeth would help identify her quickly. She was positively identified as Teresa Walsh. Despite all these cases being linked, the police had no real suspects or leads. The secret witness program's rewards were totaling $5,500 by this time and another $1,000 was posted for information into Teresa's murder as well. Not long after Teresa's body was identified, the reward amount was up to $9,500. Wow. 1000 for Teresa, 2500 for Carolyn, 1000 for Kim, 1000 for Maureen and Yvonne, 1000 for Lori, 500 for Jeanette, and more reward money was tacked on for anyone who could provide information into the manufacturing and distribution of drugs. And it seems like they were looking for the information of the distribution of drugs because... Carolyn's strychnine poisoning and apparently at that time they used strychnine in pill form to treat a lot of ailments. I wonder what you would need to like what you would use it to treat. (laughs) Yeah and now it's mostly used in rat poison so it's like the things we put in our bodies before you know I don't know it's kind of scary but 
It is also occasionally mixed in with some street drugs like LSD, heroin, and cocaine. That's scary. Very scary. I don't... Yeah, that's really scary. Um, And it wasn't determined if Teresa had ingested the strychnine orally or intravenously. Okay. So, you know, if you had that information, I guess you'd be able to determine a little bit better was it mixed in with a street drug or not. But... um. That's really scary. Super scary. Yeah. But they're definitely starting to connect these cases together. They're very close together. Carolyn's case is different, but it's still in a very similar area. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all kind of, I mean, within several years of each other as far as, you know, looking at victimology. And hitchhiking. They were all... All hitchhiking. All hitchhiking. Yeah. And then now we've heard the white man with an afro a couple times Mm -hmm. so um so we're looking at a time frame of early 72 to 73 and we're gonna go through some suspects and just kind of where things are with the case as of today so when considering suspects authorities considered many possible avenues the zodiac was considered for a little bit due to being active in the same time and place but that was about all. His letter on November the 9th, 1969 to San Francisco Chronicle proclaimed that he would no longer be announcing his murders and that he'd be changing his MO, which his MO was kind of a little all over the place before, wasn't How it? How can you change it more? Yeah. If you're like... Yeah. Maybe police were like, what MO? <laughs> yeah. He was like, haha, gotcha. <laughs> On January 29th, 1974, the Zodiac's exorcist letter to the Chronicle was published. He says, I saw and think the exorcist was the best satirical comedy that I have ever seen. And comedy is spelled C-O-M-I-D-Y. Signed, yours truly. He plunged himself into the billowy wave and an echo arose from the suicide's grave. Titwillow? Titwillow, titwillow, titwillow. If I, P.S. If I do not see this note in your paper, I will do something nasty, which you know I'm capable of doing. What a little bitch. I know, right? Like, why have good material, first of all, and then maybe we'll think about publishing it, and then he's going to be like, oh, and also if you don't publish it, then I'm going to throw a fit. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's such a little shit. Yeah, like, be better. What does titwillow mean? See, now we got to look that up. Oh, here it is. Titwillow is about a little Tom Tit's last <laughs> reflective moments before his suicidal plunge into a billowy wave. What? What is it? Who is little Tom Tit? Is this a poem? Yes, it's a poem called Titwillow. What's a Tom Tit? On a tree by a river, a little Tom Tit sang. So a bird. Yep, it's a teeny little bird. <laughs> bird names are very strange, like a blue-footed booby. Yeah, why do they all have like a booby or a or a titty on them? That's so weird. Like a mouse, like a tit mouse. <laughs> okay, so apparently he's talking about a bird. Okay, titwillow, 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 <laughs> titty, titty, titty. Yeah. <laughs> Tough titties, zodiac. Okay, my friend has a turtle that he named Titty. Breck does. He named the turtle Titty. His name is Titty. Why? Corona. <laughs> I don't know why he named him Titty. Her titty. It titty. 
Because he wanted to. I don't know. All right. Okay. Um, A guy that Andrew works with whenever he, not now because you can't get food anymore, but mm-hmm. when he would go to like KFC, he didn't order chicken breast. He would order two chicken tits. I don't like that. I hate it. I do not like that. It's so gross. Blech. Okay. So now that we know all about that. Uh, <laughs> the Zodiac's exorcist letter to the Chronicle claimed to have murdered 37 people. And he also included a character that looked like the design on Kim Wendy Allen's soy sauce barrel she had been carrying when she vanished. What? That's creepy. Very. I, did, I wonder if they published that. I know. I'm sure they did. He probably wanted everything published. Well, no. I wonder if they had published the image oh, I of see, her I see, I see. soy sauce barrel. Right. That is. Because if they didn't, then obviously. How does he know that simple? Exactly. The Zodiac theory only truly linked because the murders were without a motive. But in an article from the 70s, Lieutenant Charles Ellis said you could link Zodiac in theory with any unsolved murder in the state. Thank goodness they didn't go Henry Lee Lucas on that. Right. Because they literally could have just been like, oh, it was a Zodiac. Oh, it was a Zodiac. Right. Solved, solved, solved. Yeah. We have no evidence to link Zodiac with any unsolved murders of women in San Francisco. Ted Bundy was also considered briefly. Bundy was obviously known to kill, have killed many women on the West Coast. And he was known to rape his victims as well as strip them naked and strangle them. He had also dumped bodies on the side of the road and claimed to kill between 69 and 78. But there wasn't any real evidence that connected these murders to Ted Bundy. And he was officially ruled out when credit card records placed him in Washington State during the dates of most of these disappearances. At least they did their homework. Right. Like Henry Lee. I know. Again, I'm thinking like that would have been so simple to do in the Henry Lee Lucas case. But but Ted kind of has a white guy afro. Yeah. Don't you think? Well, I don't know if I would call it an afro. I guess not. He just had curly hair. It's just a lot of it. Yeah. But it wouldn't I wouldn't consider that an afro. It was like that 1970s, like... We're talking like, welcome back, Mr. Cattier. Yes. Like, I feel like Ted Bundy's hair was like, could have been a wig, could have been a toupee, because it was just that thick and fluffy. Mm. But I wouldn't call it an afro. Mm. Okay. I'm sorry, I wouldn't. I'm sorry. I'm, I mean, it's okay. I don't okay. know what to tell you. I'm sorry. It's okay. I know Ted really wanted an afro, but... <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I can't. The investigators weren't just hung up on these infamous serial killers. They also had some suspects that were more viable and probable. So one of them was the creative writing professor of Kim Wendy Allen, Professor Frederick Manali. Manali was a former army guy, and he died in a car crash on August 24th, 1976. And afterward, it was discovered that he kind of had a dark crush on Kim Wendy Allen. Among his things were BTK-style sexual drawings of Kim. His student, BTK-style pictures of him dressed in women's clothing as his alter ego, Frida, and a lock of hair in his wallet that he was just carrying around casually. Nobody ever said whose it was, though. Hmm. It's like, whose hair is that? It's, like, implied that it could have been Kim's, but I don't know that anybody ever said whose it was. Interesting. Yeah. And obviously, BTK was later than this, but he's somebody that a lot of people, I think, can... recognize yeah reference so and he also had pages and pages of writings depicting sadomasochism and sexual torture and slavery this is like not not a good look no even though he was most definitely a creeper when it came to kim and had some i would say deviant maybe sexual fantasies there was no evidence to say that he'd killed kim or any of the other women so they had some stuff that didn't look so good but nothing to connect him 
A man named Albert Richard Voorhees, who was 27, was questioned in reference to these murders as well. He had been accused of the murder of Lawrence Legrand, whose body was found on June 7, 1972, having been thrown off a steep cliff. According to newspaper articles from the time, Voorhees had been through Santa Rosa in July, but he refused to give any statements. Voorhees, any relation to Jason? They're brothers. <gasps> yeah. Most of this case, wide open. Exactly. Another suspect that turned out to be nothing was Arthur Lee Allen. Allen was a convicted child molester who was from Vallejo, but owned a trailer in Santa Rosa. He had recently been fired from his job at Valley Springs Elementary School, where he had been a teacher. Wait, wait, wait. A convicted child molester who was a, te- a teacher at an elementary school? <gasps> oh, no. That's terrifying. I don't like it. At least he was fired. I mean, remember when we did the Wesley Allen Dodd case and they were just like, hey, don't do that again. Yeah. You promise? Pinky promise. He promised. I don't get why he did it again. He promised. I mean, they let him go like, what, 20 times it felt like? Yeah. That case was ridiculous. Like, just slipped right through the cracks every fucking time. Every single time. Yep. Awful. He had been accused and then charged and convicted of molesting a boy in the trailer that he had in Santa Rosa. Allen had previously been considered a suspect in the Zodiac murders also, but there wasn't enough evidence to prove this. And in fact, fingerprints, palm prints, handwriting samples, and later DNA evidence ruled him out of the Zodiac case. There also wasn't any evidence to definitively connect him to the Hitchhiker murders, but he was never officially ruled out. So he's in limbo. The Los Angeles Hillside Stranglers, Kenneth Bianchi and Angelo Buono Jr., were also considered suspects in these murders. At least eight other women were found dead and linked to these women, young girls, who had been murdered. The FBI determined there were enough similarities between all of these cases that they had to be linked. The amount, the sheer amount of serial killers in California. Oh my god! Around this time. Yes. Like, when you, when you're that close to it, and especially without, you know, the lack of technology and stuff that we have today. I mean, even faxing. Like, when you're that close to it, it's like, okay, we've got one here, one here, one here. And then if you were to zoom that out to, like, the whole state of California or even the United States, and you see all of these, like, clusters of murders all over the place, it's just, I think they did that in the Lisk documentary where they, it just, when I saw that, when they went through, there was, like, I don't know, four or five part thing on it. But, um, when they zoomed it out, I was like, whoa, oh my God. Like, as fans of true crime, you know, there's a lot of serial killers working, but it just, to see all of it, and of course, you can go up and down highways, go across state lines, like, it was, I, it was terrifying. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely terrifying. And California is like a hotbed. Yep. So scary. So scary. Other women assumed to be linked with the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders were included in an FBI report in 1975. So this report was titled Unsolved Female Homicides, an Analysis of a Series of Related Murders in California and Western America. Another very wordy thing. (laughs) Um, This described 14 cases that were believed to be related to one serial killer. So in addition to everybody we already talked about, they're also thinking that these cases are possibly related. 20-year-old Rosa Vasquez, who was last seen on May 26, 1973, and was found strangled at Golden Gate Park in San Francisco on May 29, 1973, less than 10 feet off the side of the road. 20-year-old Yvonne Keelantang, 
was found strangled in a vacant, a vacant lot in Bayview neighborhood of San Francisco on June 10th, 1973. She was also seven months pregnant. Oh, my goodness. Um, this was the only known pregnant victim. And she was also not found in a ravine or embankment. Mm-hmm. Um, 16-year-old Angela Thomas was found on July 2nd, 1973, smothered to death on the Benjamin Franklin Jr. High School playground. Gosh. In Dale City, California. Oh, my gosh. She had last been seen just the day before in San Francisco. I hope that a child did not find her. That is so awful. 24-year-old Nancy Patricia Gidley, who was found strangled behind George Washington High School in Richmond District of San Francisco on July 15, 1973. If these are all the same person, this is June 10th, July 2nd, July 15th. That's... Not a ton of downtime. I mean, my gosh, it's like, no. what, two, three weeks? Some of them just a few days. Yeah. Like, or yeah. Well, yeah, because the next one is... Um, July 22nd. Yeah. Yeah. So we're like a week out. Oh, my gosh. That's scary. 22-year-old Nancy Fusey was found stabbed to death in Redding, California on July 22nd. Um, this was the only victim or one of the only victims that was stabbed. I mean, she really didn't have any of the other... Like calling cards or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, very close in time. 22-year-old Laura Odell was found beaten to death behind a boathouse in Golden Gate Park on November the 7th, 1973. So that's kind of a big jump when they were that close. Now we're July to November. Mm -hmm. Her hands had been tied behind her back, and her cause of death was determined to be head injuries or strangulation. 19-year-old Brenda Merchant was found stabbed to death in Marysville, California on February 1st, 1974. 14-year-old Donna Braun was found strangled in the Salinas River near Monterey, California on September 29th, 1974. These are so, they're so young. So young. 17-year-old Lisa Smith disappeared after hitchhiking on March 28th, 1971. Her body has still not been found. Another suspected link was when 15-year-old Cary Graham and 14-year-old Francine Trimble disappeared in December of 1978. They'd gone to the mall to shop for Christmas presents when they vanished. Oddly, Francine's mother reported her missing in mid-December, but Carrie's family didn't report her missing until Christmas Eve, despite the girls having disappeared the same day. Yeah, Yeah, that is really strange. While police originally thought they were probably just runaways, Francine had recently had her appendix appendix removed and was on medication, and the medication was found in her room. So, probably not going to leave without that. Right. The skeletal remains of two girls were discovered in a ravine in Jackson State Forest, which is in Mendocino County, California. Both had been bound with duct tape, not rope, and buried in plastic bags. It wasn't until 2015 that the remains were positively identified as Cary Graham and Francine Trimble. Can you imagine being the family and having to wait that long? I know. It's so sad. And maybe the mother or whoever was no longer living? Yeah, that's a big possibility. The evidence is circumstantial, but the girls are suspected to be victims of the same serial killer. Um, I guess just because of proximity and time. In 1979, police thought they had found the remains of Jeanette Kamahele when skeletal remains were found about 300 feet from where Lori Lee Curse's body was found. 300 feet. These are so close together. Her arms and legs had been bound and had a healed broken rib and broken arm as well as a rope around her neck. She was also not wearing any clothing. However, this body became a Jane Doe when dental records identified that they were not the remains of Jeanette, 
and in 2009, DNA results further confirmed this. This Jane Doe was determined to be about 19 years old with auburn red hair. They were also able to tell that she had worn contact lenses. As of the 80s, these cases became cold and have never been solved. Jeanette nor her remains have ever been found, and the Jane Doe from 1979 has still not been identified. The DNA recovered from the victims was entered into CODIS, but so far there have been no matches. This is not a fun case. None of them are fun. None of them are fun. No. Um, This is, it leaves me, well, like you said, there's no closure. I mean, we'll we'll never have any closure with it. Mm -mm. I don't want to say never. I mean, people have been identified as serial killers or murderers long, long after they committed their murders. So you never know. And I think what's important about these cases is talking about them. So maybe if somebody out there knows anything, that just to get the conversation going and having, you know, kind of all banding together and figuring this out. Because you posted the meme yesterday on our Instagram and um, Facebook where it's like, you know, we're all being quarantined right now. So let's take this opportunity to... to solve some cases like, yeah exactly <laughs> solve a cold case yeah. yeah it's and a bunch of people have commented like because i said what if you could solve a cold case what would it be um so you know put it in the comments too yeah we want to know let's get a conversation going yeah but um it's really especially like given how long ago these were and especially with how many killers were active in that area um, that we know of, and then there were others that we still don't. It's like, and it's all going to depend on how well they they took evidence because at that time DNA wasn't a thing. So you know, there's so many cases that have been solved by because of detectives keeping evidence that and like not maybe even knowing why they kept it exactly, and it's just there, and then we can test it. So hopefully, hopefully, eventually that will pan out because it does seem that somebody who would do do this would not be able to go undetected forever like eventually you're gonna leave you know i mean probably this person may be dead by now but right um you know we kind of talked about that possibility like in the redhead murders case that we did it's just because it was so long ago there's so many unknowns or you know and and evidence does degrade. Like, you can't always go back. Even if you have it, it's not always usable. Well, and sometimes, I mean, if we're talking DNA evidence, you only have a few shots because then you use it all up. You know what I mean? Like, there's, mm-hmm. you know, you got you to gotta test it wisely. Yeah, absolutely. So hopefully something will come of this. Um, I did want to mention, too, the website SantaRosaHitchhikerMurders.com. So there is a woman, Deborah Silva, and she actually ended up um, I think maybe during college or I'm not really sure, but she ended up living in the house that one of the victims had lived in before that. She ended up renting that house. Wow. So just because of the fact that she lived where one of the girls had lived, she got really, really involved in the case. So she created the website SantaRosaHitchhikerMurders.com and she's got an archive of all of the newspaper articles from the time having to do with these cases and she has them kind of broken up by um she hasn't broken up by topic so some of them are on you know each individual victim or maybe on 
like the Zodiac Theory is one of them. So if you are interested in reading any of the the original newspaper articles, they're laid out there, which is kind of cool that she did that. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that took a lot of time. Um, So she's got a lot of information and she does a lot of, I think, like podcast interviews and stuff on the case. She's like, she's really close with the victim's remaining family members and those kind of things. So if you want more information, that's a great resource because she's super, super close to that case. And that's it. Yeah. Well, thank you for tuning in. Yeah, I'm just making a face like... I know. Sorry. Yeah. Unsolved ones are like this are rough. It's, they are. I mean, they all are rough, but it just feels like there's nothing. You know, there's nothing to go on. Like, where do you go from here? Well, and... When I said, like, it, it's not a fun one, and I don't mean fun in the fact that, like, all the other ones are just, like, a, you know, we have a super fun time talking about it because at right. the end of the day, people have been murdered, and this is serious. Yeah. But there's no justice, yeah. and that's really tough. Yeah. It just is. No yeah. matter how you slice it, it's just tough, so. And the fact that, like, with hitchhiking, the likelihood is that these are people that have never come into contact with each other before. Mm-hmm. So even if you go and talk to family members and friends and who did you know and whatever it's not likely that the person that gave any of these people a ride knew any of them well and now we've seen if there's a witness that's like oh well it was a white guy with an afro okay well that didn't lead anywhere so yeah and even if there's somebody a witness who's who's seen a suspect like the white man with an afro it doesn't always pan out. Like, just because you see somebody like that doesn't mean that they can pinpoint exactly who this white man with an afro is, so. Yeah. Just, yeah. It doesn't seem like we had... Well, we had one vehicle description, a, a truck, a brown truck brown or whatever. Truck, 50 style brown um, truck. But that's it. And you don't hear that, from what I can tell, we didn't get that in any of the other ones. So, that's kind of a an isolated... If you had that vehicle description in a few of them, that would... I think it would just kind of help tie it together a little bit more but and and there's no telling too like I know with hitchhiking a lot of times it's like okay I picked this person up here and I took them so far and then they got out and then they're going to hitchhike again I mean it could have been a situation where there's a few rides to get where they need to go so I mean there's just so many unknowns Mm -hmm. so sad but if you uh if you know anything if you have any information definitely contact police in that area um but that's it and we do have some shout outs shout outs so let's do it (laughs) okay all right so molly g Paige comet joe olive leah allstad patrick lewis karenina yeah jesse santiago jl landry dylan bott Carly Bullis, Amanda Coria, Sarah Kate Lynch, Addie Murphy, Aaron Markham, Mackenzie Stanley, Lindsay Mitchell, Ashley, Aaron, Kareen Siever, Savannah, Destiny Havard, Katie Dishroon, Kamina Ellington, Amy Doak, Briley Ripley, Kennedy, Jamie Thornthwaite, Taylor Rodriguez, Kaylee Ello, Emily Blank, Blancet, Lindsay Williams, Claire Lynch, Summer Ford, Morgan, Liz, Sydney Merton, Hannah Tenney, Amanda McIntyre, Mariana 
Petricelli, Victoria Ellison April, Olivia, Molly Payne, Misty Rusa, Alyssa C, Marita, Emily Collins, L. Young, Kate Maloney, Maloney, Chelsea Diane, Lane McCarter, Brianna Forrester, Crystal Souter, Nancy, Christy Marshall, Destiny, Allison Jones, Zadie. I don't. I don't know. I'm, I'm sorry. So sorry. If, if that's wrong. April Morrison, Cassidy, Stephanie, Megan Taylor, Alina Guzman, Diana Fowler, Stephanie, Chantel Highland, Kaylee Sanders, Chelsea M, Brianna Green, Greenough, Greenough, maybe, Ellen, Elizabeth Fant, Kimberly Taylor, Amber Crocker, Sarah Brankus, Kylie, Megan White, Mallory Adams. <laughs> we did it. We probably ruined half of those names and we're sorry about At it. At least. But. So sorry. Yeah. But we love you. Yes. Thank you so thank much you for so much. being friends and thank you for tuning in to this episode. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.